Doc Fermento Discovers the World, Unlocking Secrets Held by Geeks, Gurus, and Experimenters. Episode 22, Melissa McEwen, Nude Sauna Sausage Making. Melissa joins me in a conversation about, well, it's a, what did we talk about? Evolutionary biology, food, the GERD, starting fights, meat sharing, agri-econ, paleo, myths, gossip, controversies, and what have you. Melissa is a blogger at huntgatherlove.com. It's one of my favorite blogs. It's one of my favorite websites, period. Um, I've linked to it numerous times. So go check out huntgatherlove.com. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this. Hey, I almost forgot the most important part. Today's project, it's not a project. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com forward slash docfermento. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. If you've never previously been a customer of audible.com, you can sign up for a free audiobook at audibletrial.com forward slash Doc Fermento. Come on, folks, sign up. It's 15 bucks a month. You get a free audiobook every month. You get a free audiobook to start. You get a 30-day free trial. 15 bucks a month thereafter. Cancel at any time. Keep and you keep the free audiobook and any subsequently purchased audiobooks. If you need more details, feel free to ask me or go to audibletrial.com forward slash docfermento for more info. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Okay. Looks like we maintained the call. Oh, yay. Well, thanks for um, thanks for joining me, Melissa. Um, I think, as far as I know, is this your first podcast appearance? No, I had one with Jimmy Moore a long time ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. I missed that. I didn't know. And then I got some offers to do podcasts, but I don't know. I guess I... I don't know. I just don't like doing podcasts that much, except for like if I mean if the podcast is one I listen to a lot, and I actually yeah. listen to yours. So oh, really? Wow, there's like seven of you now. It's <laughs> it's catching fire. <laughs> cool. Hey, so um, what are we talking about today? Um, well, what do you want to talk about? I mean, I mean. Arguing with a lot of people online about all kinds of things, if you haven't noticed. Yeah, are you starting fights, or are you just jumping in the middle of fights? It's hard for me to tell sometimes. It's hard for me to tell, too. Because you're pretty quick. So, uh, if you're jumping in, the, you're, you're early to the game, it seems like. So. Yeah. Well, I work on the internet, so, I mean, 
I can be right there for when the fight's starting. Oh, okay. Yeah, I you know, I guess you truly are a geek. I saw a tweet of yours about working at a Unix terminal, so Yeah. Yeah. I guess you definitely qualify for the show then. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess like arguing is my uh hobby. Mm-hmm. So I guess some some of the other bloggers are in it for, you know, more uh better reasons or something. Or worse reasons, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I like to argue. Let's tell people, let's folks know um, how you got involved in this evolutionary biology and food fiasco we're in the middle of. Uh, like start from the way beginning? Hey, like wherever, whatever you need of? to think you need to tell your story. Well, uh, when I was in uh, college, I was pretty sickly. I was always at the doctor because I had gastroesophageal reflux disease and asthma and irritable bowel syndrome. And I got sick all the time. I got every single cold or yeast infection or everything you could possibly imagine. And I was just miserable. And um, at some point, I was at the time majoring in economics. And I read this blog called Marginal Revolution. I also read another blog called Freakonomics. And I believe they mentioned uh, Art Devaney, and uh, that's where I first read about the concept of the idea that um, that there's a way of eating that we can pattern on our own evolutionary biology. And I yeah. started mm-hmm. eating that way, um, and I've experimented with it for like over four years now, and uh, I'm not a sickly person anymore, so I'm quite happy. Well, that's great. You're, um, specifically, you're not on a a paleo diet or anything, but that's kind of the overarching template, maybe, perhaps? Well, uh, you know, I started out with the standard paleo diet, and I've done different variations of it over the years. I mean, right now I feel healthy enough that um, I, you know, maybe I follow Mark Sisson's Pareto principle, the 80-20 thing, you know, I'm eating 80% paleo, but 20% non-paleo, and at this point in my life, my digestive system is resilient enough to handle that 20%. Hmm. So you don't think you have any um, underlying thing that pro- prohibits you from eating some specific food? Like um, there's definitely foods that I've experimented with that definitely seem to cause, uh, you know, gastric distress. For example, fructans, which are in wheat and in uh, onions. For example, I seem to have a pretty low tolerance for those. Still, I wish I could develop a higher tolerance. I mean, that's always one of my goals: develop higher tolerance. I don't want to just cut foods out forever, uh-huh. unless they're really terrible or something. Yeah, so you're saying you can lower, you you can increase your tolerance to these toxins? Yeah, just by increasing your gut health. Okay, I guess that makes sense then. Sure. Yeah, damaged gut will often react to all kinds of things that have nothing, that weren't even the causes of the damage. That's why a lot of people who suffer from GERD, you know, and they have heartburn, they think that it's caused by tomatoes. And really, there's no evidence that tomatoes cause it at all, and there's no even like proposed mechanism. But um, what's happening is that their digestive system is so irritated that the acidity of the tomatoes or something else in them is irritating it even further. But it's not the original cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How did you fix? So, um, how did you fix or reverse your the gut issue on a well, standard I mean- paleo diet, or did you need something else? I uh, I read a lot about, for example, this specific carbohydrate diet, which posits that a lot of stomach problems are caused by um, malabsorption of carbohydrates. 
And I also did a lot of reading on inflammation because I also had the GERD. And I basically started a diet that was pretty low in carbohydrates and um, very high in anti-inflammatory foods like fish, uh, bone broth, uh, fermented foods, um, anti-inflammatory foods. And it worked pretty well for me. And uh, as my tolerance increased, I was able to test new foods to see what I could include. And as my stomach got better and better, that group of foods got bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's super cool. I know uh, people I talk to, everyone seems to be nearly afraid of SCD or GAPS diet um, because of the difficulty. I, I use that in quotes. Yeah, it it's... almost wasn't strict enough for me. I mean, <laughs> I, that's why I had to do that really, really low carb, like just mainly meat and egg yolks and fish because some of the foods on that, I don't know, I didn't tolerate them that well. Like any kind of, when I was really sick, I didn't even tolerate yogurt. Mm-hmm. So. Now, what was this idea about in the SCD about the carbohydrates? What was so the- um, if you have a dysfunctional gut, um, what's happening is you're not digesting these carbohydrates very well, and they're getting into your large intestine, and all this bacteria are just eating them, which they're supposed to do, but you either have really bad bacteria or too much bacteria, and they're producing a lot of hydrogen and methane, and they're bloating you up and causing gas and diarrhea. So, uh, you know, you've got to somehow restrict that their food supply and then shift the balance in your gut away from those bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just trying to... So this, this carbohydrate restriction is just a temporary, temporary stopgap measure to improve yeah. gut health? Okay. All right. And a lot of misconceptions for, the, you know, there's this FODMAPS concept. I guess here's where I yeah. struggle with podcasts because... Now I have to list out all the things that FODMAPS means. I think it's like fructooligosaccharides, disaccharides. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. they're just basically different types of carbohydrates. But um, people, when I mention them, often people think, oh, I have to you know, get rid of all FODMAPS from my diets forever. And um, that's not true. I mean, you're, it's pretty unlikely that you are intolerant to all FODMAPS or that you are intolerant with, to them forever. I mean... For example, lactose is probably the most well-known diagnosed FODMAP intolerance, lactose intolerance. And, uh, you know, most people who are lactose intolerant, they can tolerate other types of carbohydrates, and they can even tolerate some amount of lactose. It's a dose-dependent thing, and mm-hmm. there's things you can do with yourself that will increase your lactose intolerance and pills you can take, too. And that's the same for all the other carbohydrates in that FODMAPs group. Okay, so we're going to be able to, I guess, kind of distinguish between what might be a, an actual food allergy that we have yeah, and like simply I don't a have sensitivity, right? Yeah, this is just like my digestive system doesn't work correctly. I'm not allergic to anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not breaking out in hives. I'm just getting gas, bloating, that kind of thing. Fun stuff. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I thought I was alone in the whole world with gut issues until um, uh, well, I was in the Bay Area, and it through a, a friend's girlfriend, I found out every single woman in the Bay Area has irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm just like all the other gals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my family has terrible gut issues. My mom and my dad both have them. My sister... Weirdly, my grandmother, who's 93, has, says she has never had a stomach ailment in her entire life. So we're just wow. unlucky, or maybe it's new. Hello? Hey there. 
guess our luck ran out with Skype. Yeah, it's going to happen a few times, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. And the funny thing is, they just do such a lousy job of letting you know. Yeah, like, it, it didn't even say, so I kept talking. Right, I know, and it, it happens, yeah. Uh, oh, well. I, I'm hoping Google Hangouts will roll out its, um, like, broadcasting functionality. They have it uh, enabled for some people. That oh, seems wow. Really- I can't believe that there aren't uh, more services available. It seems like we're at least 15 years beyond. Uh, we should be 15 years further down the road than we are with this technology. Yeah. Like, I wanted to do, like, a blogging heads kind of thing about with food, but, I mean, it required so much software and, like, video editing that I was like, no, no thanks. Huh. So what what is it that you do as a day job? I work IT. Oh, okay. And I'm a web developer. Cool. So you're always online. So you're that's what you were saying before. You're always ready. When the fight pops up, you're right there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what's the current issue going on in this paleosphere that's got everyone up in the uproar? Um, there's just so many of them. I guess um a lot of the stuff with the carb debate that's got a lot of people riled up, which I don't understand why. I mean, it seems like I don't know, like a year ago people had sort of calmed down and were like, Yeah, you know, Everyone should just eat what's right for them and eat real food. And then all of a sudden you've got all these people who are starting to get into paleo that are trying to pull it back into low carb again. I don't understand why. I mean, low carb is a great tool for things like, for example, the um, bacterial overgrowth in the intestine that I was talking about. Or it's a great tool for epilepsy and migraines. But the idea that it's the optimal diet for everybody and it's the optimal diet for the human species just isn't founded in any kind of facts Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not sure every time i hear about the argument i i don't know who who is it that's actually saying that to eliminate these carbs i don't um um for example um dr ron rosedale who has absolutely nothing to do with paleo but for some reason has gotten looped into these arguments yeah i see his name and i have no idea who he is but he believes everybody who eats carbohydrates has at least a low-level form of diabetes oh in that in order to have optimal longevity, you need to restrict carbohydrates and protein. Okay, all right. But, um, I mean, that's more of a transhumanist view of, I mean, that's, for example, like the calorie restriction with optimal nutrition folks. Mm-hmm. That's a diet that's betting on some research that's been done on animals that shows that extreme calorie restriction with optimal nutrition um, leads to, you know, extreme longevity. But it's, you know, an experiment. Yeah, I don't. I don't know necessarily that I'd want to live a long time if I wasn't getting enough calories. It doesn't even sound like fun. Well, I mean, a lot of people in Cron, that's the the abbreviation for that diet. They complain of depression, low libido, that sort of thing. I'm not sure if, uh, I don't think protein and uh, carb restriction have those problems for everybody, but I have met people who've had those issues and I've had those issues. Mm -hmm. Even when I have adequate fat, um, I mean, for long term, if I just stay low carb for a really long time, it I do feel affected by it mm-hmm. mentally. Yeah, I for me, I, I try everything. So I'm I'm never, I move so fast, I'm never able to pinpoint what is causing what. But I guess uh, I'm doing fine with the 
across the board, you know, carbs, no carbs. I, I try it all. But definitely yeah. I've made a major move towards fat the past six months. Yeah. And that's really that that's the number one um thing that I found that helped me. Yeah, I mean I just feel like it's different for everybody though. I mean I guess I've just been around a lot of different people and cooked for a lot of different people, people I've dated, for example, and it seems like people just tolerate things differently. Like some people find the food that I cook to be too fatty or mm-hmm. too low in carbs or whatever. So Interesting. Yeah, and it, it does. Uh, and a lot of that would also have to do with, um, gut, like you mentioned before, gut health, and yeah. you know what you can what you can tolerate, and also perhaps some underlying uh, additional conditions that that someone might be dealing with. Yeah, one of my hobbies is uh, genetics, and uh, I'm really interested in you know genetic differences that lead to you know different reactions to diet and. I feel like we've only discovered the tip of the iceberg and with genetics you not only have the human genome to look at you have you know the genome of the bacteria in your gut and epigenetic factors um I mean I just feel like humans are so much more diverse than we give ourselves credit for Yeah it would seem to yeah exactly back to that um the idea of you know one diet fits all is uh, it's just obviously nonsense to me um, so the funny thing is, um, I kind of like when I, disco- when I discovered you, <laughs> came across your presence online was, I think during the, um, last year's Weston A. Price. Yeah. When you, I, you log- I was arguing with you. It. Yeah. I was a vegetarian or just coming out of vegetarianism, I guess you might say. So I had in my own angle. Oh yeah. I, I wasn't sure who you were. I was like. And afterwards, I noticed that you were into, like, eating meat. And I was like, maybe he was just trolling me. No. He's always been this way. No, I wasn't. I, I'm, I'm not even good at trolling. If I, <laughs> <laughs> But um, I, I don't know. I, maybe it was just the anger from lack of meat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even remember what that was all about. But, but it's fun to argue with people. At least I think it is. I mean, I always learn so much. That's what really drives me to learn more and more. I, I would know nothing about paleoanthropology if I hadn't gotten into arguments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see now people that are out there are, and engaging in an argument with um, a vegan or something. And I'm just like, oh, I actually made, a, I think it was a tweet today to someone that I follow. Like, just let it go. Just let that <laughs> argument go because... Who cares? Why I, arguing with the vegan? Let there be an entire population of vegans. They're not doing as much damage as Bill Gates and his GMO. Yeah. Well, I feel like you should only argue if you are going to get something out of arguments because the studies show that when you argue with people, the odds that you're going to convince them of anything are pretty low, even if you're right. And, uh, so the only arguments you should get into are ones that spur you to learn more about the subject. Yeah, let's find common grounds with vegans, at least. Uh, that's or at like, least learn about the philosophies behind, you mm-hmm. know, utilitarianism or epistemology. Read some biology books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do that, but <laughs> <laughs> I just let other people tell me what I'm supposed to know. Ah. Uh kidding of course well, that's why you have a podcast right so that you can trick people into chatting with you 
Yeah, and then I just get all their. Yeah, I'm just collecting. I'm just building a database for myself. <laughs> I like um, your. I just um, this section on your uh, blog called "Start Here." Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I I got so many uh, emails being like, "Oh, what book should I read? What should I do now? I want to start," and so I created that page. Yeah, step one, demolish the lipid hypothesis. So here you're on Gary Taubes' team. I mean, I... For a minute. You know, when I meet doctors, I always recommend Gary Taubes because the the section on his books that is about, you know, why saturated fat isn't the enemy. I just don't agree with his, you know, underlying hypothesis about carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather have people out there who uh, believe that eating butter isn't a bad thing and who think potatoes are evil <laughs> because I, I don't know. I mean, that's just a, that's a better place to be, I think. And then you can experiment with potatoes later. Well, the potato thing comes from the top down. Doesn't, I mean, people are learning this from Lauren Cordain. It's not like we're a bunch of people are just, um, misinformed. If he wrote the damn book called the paleo diet, yeah, I always feel bad when I meet people. Like, I had this, like, paleo meetup at a restaurant recently in Chicago, and uh, there's this one woman who was starting the paleo diet, and she had Cordain's book. She was saying what a hard time she was having, and I was like, just get rid of that book and buy, like, Mark Sisson's book, because you're going to be miserable on that diet, it was, honestly. It was very funny. You're the only person, you're the one who responded to me. I had tweeted the same thing. I said, I, I'm having a real tough time with this paleo diet book. I, I don't even want, I don't want to do it. I'll just do something else. I don't even want to follow it. And you said, get over it. That's old, you know, even Lauren Cordain has moved uh, away from that a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I just find his dietary recommendations depressing. I mean, chicken breast, salmon filet, yeah. without any butter. Exactly. I mean, it reads just like, um, I happen to have, I talk about this all the time, a copy of the dietary guidelines um it's provided by the cleveland clinic for diabetics and to read that you just want to die yeah i I wouldn't want to eat i mean they literally show a piece of chicken breast with two little florets of broccoli and some carrots on a white plate yeah i would sooner not i mean i i would i would i don't know i'd rather it's like I mean, I love Whole House Source and Stephen Guillonet. He's a great blogger, but his low-reward diet, I would have a lot of trouble with that. I don't think I could do it. I'm very pleasure-oriented, so mm-hmm. saying that I can't like salt or put spices or Tabasco sauce or anything on my food, I would rather just not be alive. And I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I know when I first heard um, someone had told me um, they had some trouble with the paleo diet because the they the lack of vinegar and salt. And I said, wow, where did you learn that? And they said, oh, from Lauren Cordain. I'm like, no vinegar and salt? Then forget it. I'm, I'm out. Anyways, I'd find some other course. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, with this whole, like, food reward thing, uh, people are being turned off by this low-reward diet, and I would be turned off, too, because I just feel like um, a lot of people who create these diets, they're not very pleasure-oriented people themselves, or they don't understand people are motivated by these things. Like, I mean, the idea that I have to meditate and start to get, you know, 
try to find a way to get pleasure from outside of food so I can eat really plain food. That's just not going to work for me. Hmm. I need to find other hacks to, you know, moderate my food intake. Yeah. And I feel like uh, one of the people who's influenced me a lot is Seth Roberts, who did the Shangri-La diet. And his hack was not to, um, you know, eat boring food and torture himself, but to do this, like, drinking oil thing to adjust his hunger levels. It's a really interesting concept. Yeah, he was on my show, and uh, I, <laughs> I, I always had a little difficulty kind of digesting what what the hell exactly going on with Seth Roberts, but that, <laughs> but um, that was awesome. I, I love some of the concepts. It was funny when you were talking about food reward. I've I've tried to bring up on comment sections online about Seth some of Seth Roberts' ideas in food reward conversations, but I, I never seem to get any traction with that. I'm not sure if hmm. enough people aren't familiar with his work, maybe. Yeah. But I think I, they tie together very well from yeah. Guyanese to Seth's work. Yeah, I feel like there's different hacks for working mm-hmm. with food reward. Like, I mean, I, I've been reading this book called The Compass of Pleasure, which is an excellent book. Um, and it's about addiction, and it has a chapter on food, it has a chapter on sex, it has a chapter on drugs and alcohol, and they all operate somewhat similarly in the brain. And I feel like we have uh, some of these food reward discussions have been derailed because we have all these moral sort of weighting of these concepts. Like if there's overeating involved, then the people who are overeating, they must be just gluttons. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it, we have the same problem with alcoholism, like the idea that alcoholics are just people who care more about alcohol than they do about life. And the neuroscience says it's not true at all. That there's they that their brain is faulty because of you know either a lot of there's genetic factors but there's also you know there's some certain drugs and ways you can if you're overeating a lot you can damage your brain mm-hmm. um, drinking a lot damages your brain and so actually the truth is that people with these addictions they um, anticipate these things more but they don't enjoy them more when you look into actual dopamine signaling. They're not enjoying it more than anyone else. But people get into this, like, if there's any overeating involved in obesity, they feel like there's some sort of moral judgment involved, but it's just mm-hmm. the brain isn't signaling you correctly. Interesting. I've found, I don't know if I'm changing the subject here or not, but one thing I've noticed that I have a little bit of a problem with currently with, with all the, the flood of um, paleo cookbooks <laughs> is this baking that's going on oh yeah and these fake flowers and this mostly i if i'm rude i'm sorry but this mostly <laughs> comes from people who were formerly obese and were massive sugar addicts and they're they're concocting new desserts that they're going to feel safer about and it's not to, in my opinion it's not addressing an underlying issue of I think we you need to get away from that, especially if you've previously had a weight problem. It's uh, the exact opposite of my food philosophy, which is that treats should be the very best possible thing, the most expensive, the most mm-hmm. culinarily refined thing, mm-hmm. not some like fake imitation of cake. Right. You know? If you're going to have a cake, have have one slice of the most decadent chocolate cake you can possibly find. Or just don't eat I'm, cake at all and buy a chocolate truffle. They're already right, gluten-free. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, an expensive chocolate truffle, you know, you're not going to even be able to eat that much of them unless you're really rich. But it takes, 
I mean, it kind of reminded me of the, the alcohol thing where some people can drink and not and turn it on and off and, you know, as needed, you know, three times a year, you know, once a month. And then other people cannot um, drink at all because they can't stop. Um, and with food, we can play a little trick where we're still getting our cake, but it's fake, you know? Yeah, I mean... This is a little I've... concerning to me. I feel like my strategy, well, there's this economist called Veblen, and he had this thing about the Veblen effect, and it's the idea that uh, there are certain goods that become more desirable the more expensive they are, and that's my food reward and alcohol reward hack is I only eat unhealthy food or alcohol if it's extremely expensive. I'll never <laughs> drink PBR. I only drink $14 cocktails. You know, I only eat like you're my a lousy treats. hipster. <laughs> I treats are like you know Belgian chocolate that costs you know twenty dollars a bar. So I, I but feel the like problem is really if, well if, if you happen to become massively poor, then extravagant <laughs> things might be like a Milky Way or something. Well, when I was poor, I was still buying these things. Okay, I was on food stamps at one time, and I would still. You know, splurge a little on these treats. They're not that expensive. I mean, I find people who drink and eat cheap things end up spending more because they eat more mm -hmm. often. So, I mean, even if you're poor, I mean, just set aside like $10 a week and buy a really nice chocolate bar or something. I mean, not if you're really, 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 really poor, maybe, and you can't afford housing or anything. But Yeah, if you're homeless. But yeah, who knows? But, hey, maybe that might be the fuel you need. I know, uh, <laughs> for, to be... in. To be honest, I mean, we, I, my, uh, me and my wife, we, we get food stamp money yeah. um, every month. And um, we buy chocolate um, at Trader Joe's. Uh, we buy, you know, one little bar. It's a buck sixty, I think. Yeah. And that lasts for a week. Yeah, I did that when I, I was mean, on food stamps. It's so stupid when people are moralistic about food stamps. You don't get more money if you buy nice things. You only get, everyone gets the same amount of money a month. Yeah, you do get queer. Quirky looks from people, or uh, you'll hear a lot of people complain. If I buy salmon, people are going to get upset. It's stupid because it's not only... using more money from them. Right, right. Well, they think you're living some you know, uh, uh, extravagant lifestyle or something. But literally, what I I use all that money from that service to buy the most nutrient dense foods I can possibly get my hands on. Yeah. Um. And in an and in a variety. So that's how I kind of. That's like our staple, like that's yeah. going to get us through. And then I, we pile on all the other stuff on top. There's actually a blog reader of mine who was featured in Salon maybe two years ago in an article about people eating well on the food stamps. Mm -hmm. And he got so much hate mail. I was like, these people don't even seem to realize that it doesn't take more tax dollars if he uses the money differently. It's the same it's just like he's eating well and doing the best he can. It's like saving tax dollars because he's healthier. Well, we're obsessed with class warfare. So if a, a you know, uh, you just hear people all the time chastise any anyone receiving any assistance for any niceties that they have in their life, or they'll mock someone who gets featured on the local news. You know, that's just dumb and wants more of something or. It's just tough. It, it's so stupid because, like, most even, like, upper middle class people I know got money to go to college from the government. 
Yeah, have you and, ever and seen that, those? That There's, doesn't have a moral mm-hmm. attachment. You don't have to. You're not expected to wear a burlap sack if you take money for college. Yeah, there's been God tons. God forbid if you get mm-hmm. food stamps. There's been tons written online recently about. Uh, do you think you know? Uh, um, are you on government assistance? And then yeah, and think people, again yeah. because that, there's a lot of it out there. So. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of that is to me just this brutal class warfare that's. Um, it's just snuck into our subconscious through the likes of Fox News on one hand. And, you know, just we're all being manipulated and pitting each other, you know, against each other. And, but, I mean, it's interesting, though, because people... I don't want to be like Alice Waters and be dismissive of how hard it is to eat poor. You, you wouldn't I, be on my show if you were Alice Waters. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't want to be dismissive of how hard it is to be poor. But, I mean, there are options out there... Um, that aren't appropriate for everybody, but people should explore, like, you know, bartering with farmers. I did that a lot. Um, I would help farmers sell their meat in exchange for a discount on the meat, for example. Mm -hmm. So I got a meat CSA started. I mean, that doesn't work for everybody, of course, but there's a lot of things you can try. Yeah, you do need to be creative, um, especially if you're interested in real food, because you have to kind of go find it. It's not going to just show up. And when it does show up, it's ridiculously overpriced. Like they now sell grass-fed ground beef at our local grocery store, mm. and it's $10 a pound. Yeah, see, the meat I was getting from these farmers directly was like $3, $4 a pound. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, you know. I go to the farmer's market, and the meat there is like anywhere from like 14 to $24 a pound. I'm like, no wonder people think this is inaccessible. I mean, I make plenty of money now, and I think this is unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I get that argument a lot from um, people that it's not this paleo idea. It would not never be sustainable or even achievable because of the cost associated. And yet no one's willing to even get started in a local food movement or a local currency movement. So- well, it, it, it's so hard to get started. I mean... My father bought a farm, and he's been trying to do grass-fed meat, and he just, I think uh, he wasn't that aware of how expensive complying with the regulations would be, or like all these other little costs that you don't think about, and he was like, I don't know how I'm going to make a profit, and there's so many farmers that say that every day, just because the system is so stacked against them. Yeah, have you happened to, um, have you read... um... Joel Salatin's latest book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Joel Salatin, I discovered him when I was in college, and I did my senior thesis on his Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. Is that that accessible or readable? Oh, that's a very readable book. It's basically just like a rant. Oh, that's cool. It's a good book. Yeah, I just happened to get to the new one, Folks of St. Normal, on uh, audio, and... It was quite good. I mean, you know, he takes libertarianism all the way to the edge. Yeah. And <laughs> there's some things that, you know, that just racks my brain as being inconceivable. Some of the ideas like no building inspectors. The world would be better without building inspectors. It is funny because I saw him speak in Manhattan in this group of like all these like liberal park slope co-op kind of member people. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because they're tolerant of him because he's. You know, he he can say some things that seem kind of like uh, that 
are extremist or seem kind of bigoted, in my opinion. Well, he, but, he says stuff straight out of the Old Testament on occasion. Yeah, so, yeah, but people are really tolerant of that. I think that's amusing because I feel like there's other conservative speakers that you even mentioned that you read their books and everyone's like, oh my God, you mm-hmm. must be a terrible person. Well, when once you're labeled the high priest of the past, you're, I guess you get a lot of, you get extra room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he, he has great ideas. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he's so. got some things to teach us. Uh, he's he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I like a lot of the libertarian concepts, but, you know. Yeah, I'm not 100% the same as him, but got good ideas. Well, that's pretty cool. So what's the new thing? Are you reading anything? Books? What's out there? Well, that Compass of Pleasure, um, I've been reading that, and I, I think I'm going to write uh, a bigger post about addiction, about the science of that. Um, I had a relative die last year of alcoholism, and uh, ever since then, I've been reading a lot about it. I mean, it's been something that's been in my family for a long time, mm-hmm. and I've researched, you know, I've gone back through our family tree and read a lot about it. And it's interesting because, I mean, a lot of people who struggle with alcoholism also struggle with food issues or, um, you know, sex issues and stuff like that. So uh, it's all connected Yeah, this I've, food reward thing. With the food reward. Hmm. Yeah, I've been able to stomp the whole food problem in my life, just squashed it without any problem at all. Uh, my my big thing is alcohol. I, I definitely uh, have a, a major struggle with that, and um, and cigarettes. Huh? And it's it's unapproachable to me. I, I can't even get my head around it. And yet the food thing was as easy as pie. And it all it started was with watching the movie Food Inc. Like whatever that was four years ago when that came out. Well, if you read the science about like alcoholism versus food issues, I mean the way that alcohol rewires the brain is much stronger than the way food rewires the brain. But it's interesting though, that the, I mean, the failure rate for diets is pretty, pretty dire in the similar to the failure rate for people who try to quit alcohol. Yeah. I can see that the food thing is really tough. Um, yeah. All diets fail. Yeah. I like the, when they use the word, you know, paleo lifestyle, I think (laughs) (laughs) it sounds cheesy, but it's, it, I think it's helpful, and especially helpful when you're. So I have this recent obsession with words, and that they create our reality. I know you might think I'm insane because you're not. You hate woo, but um, <laughs> I really believe that the words we hear and the words in our community or in our world literally just become our reality, and we really get stuck with it. So I can see people struggle with their diet. Not just because the diet is is good or bad, but because they have to talk to other people about it. So the word paleo diet could be really difficult for someone. Living a paleo lifestyle might be a lot easier for them. The actions are exactly the same. Yeah, I mean... But communicating with other people will, will change the um, their response towards you. And, you know, that it could really change your... alter your reality. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I feel like there's been a lesser emphasis on it as it being a weight loss diet, which is good because I certainly didn't get into it as a weight loss diet, though I did lose weight. I mean, this book I just read, Why Women Need Fat, it's by an anthropologist and a doctor. I think it's Stephen Gollin and something Lassick. And uh, they they say, you know, this diet is not going to make you 
lose weight easily. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard, and you might not lose as much weight as you want. But you know, your the fa- the fat in your body has a purpose, and there's a reason why it's hard to get off because of hmm. hormones mm-hmm. and biology, just simple biology. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of diet books are like, just follow this plan, and you're going to lose weight. That sounds really nice. I, I really like that approach. Um, you know, everyone's always obsessed with that when they plateau. It's a, always a, yeah. a big buzzword. And I said, well, no. What if that's normal? <laughs> what if, you know? What if your plateau is normal? What if anything yeah. below that is abnormal? Maybe that's your shape. Well, with women, I think it's especially scary. I mean, I've seen so many women who you know do paleo diets and CrossFit who just get such low body fat, and I'm like, that's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's not healthy at all. You're getting amenorrhea. You're, I mean, even if you don't want to have children, that's not good for you. It's stressing your body out. It's just scary to me. People want to just get rid of all their curves. But then speaking of fat, there's fat advocates that you are not a big fan of. <laughs> As I just recently read, you had a little problem with Nora Gedgaudis. Oh, she, is she fat? No, no. Pro, being pro-fat. Pro. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's just a perfect example of someone who is just like, um, she just thinks that there's an optimal diet for everybody, and it's her diet, and if you follow her diet, you're going to, you know, get the perfect health. Mm-hmm. Her diet's the only good one, and she has to rewrite evolution. I mean, the idea that Homo sapiens is like an ice you know, an Arctic being adapted to cold weather, which also this Dr. Cruz has sort of talked about. It's just, it's not even, it's not even being debated in anthropology. It's not a real thing. It's not, humans are, came, you know, there is perhaps in some Homo sapiens populations, there have been hybridizations with other hominid species like Neanderthals that may have been quite more, of you know an arctic species although we don't really know but overall homo sapiens is an african species mm-hmm. africa is not a place where it's cold all the time even in the ice age yeah i heard her paleo summit and um piece and i had no idea what she was talking about i i i, I didn't understand what the hell I don't understand her at all. I mean, I, I just... And, but the I problem is, sure. I'm a huge fan of hers. <laughs> oh, really? I don't... I, maybe I don't know anybody like this in real life, but, um, like, people... Like, she mentioned a paper, and so I looked it up. And I was like, that's not even what this paper says at mm-hmm. all. This paper isn't even about that. Why would you even cite that paper? And why would you say something like that? It's not true, and it, you're just confusing people about evolution just to prove that your diet's the best. I, that's what really makes me furious. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I was, you mentioned Dr. Cruz, and I took a look at his uh, cold thermogenesis stuff, and I love Dr. Cruz. I like him on a spiritual, fun level, and I like, you know, he's out on the edge, and he's helping extremely obese people. But um, I know you're not a huge fan of his, but um, the well, cold I mean, thermogenesis you don't have to piece. rewrite evolution to, to show that ketogenic diets have therapeutic purposes. You don't mm-hmm. have to. Just don't do that, and I won't argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing. Like, if if his this cold thermogenesis idea has some merit in his hacking or you know in his approach, I don't understand the need to write thousand pages on it. It 
it's like you're trying to impress someone else or something. I, I'm just not sure. I I stopped even looking at that. But well, I mean, this his stuff. He did not invent this. I mean, I studied in uh, Sweden, and the Scandinavians have always been a fan of uh, you know hacking using. Uh, I mean doing the sauna and then running out in the snow or doing cold water swimming. Mm-hmm. The Finnish have been pioneers researching the health benefits of that for a long time. Sure. And uh, I'm ac- I actually have been applying to grad school, and I, I've been a- I'd like to work with uh, Siberian populations, and there's been a lot of good research in that area. I mean, it's funny because we're talking about how, you know, cold is going to help you live a really long time, but Siberians, they're not especially long-lived, although they do have some pretty interesting... Uh, they have really low leptin values, for example. And they're not long-lived? Eh, their longevity is not exceptional. I mean, they're not Okinawans. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. I, I don't think... I don't think... And they also... They're also quite genetically distinct. Um, there's all kinds of evidence that they have more recent genetic adaptations to extreme cold. I mean, that's the difference between ancestral and derived traits. Like, Mm -hmm. if that were a characteristic of the Homo sapien species of all of us, then, you know, that wouldn't be shown as, when you do a genome scan, it wouldn't show up as, you know, a recently selected thing. Um, So it's interesting because these Arctic sort of adaptations and also adaptations for extremely high starch diets, those seem to be recent in human history. Oh, okay. Yeah, for me... When it comes to the any type of cold therapies, you know, I I've always found them curious more just on the um, the hormesis idea. I just as a the you know this the the stress the stress angle. I know nothing about evolution or where people's come from. I don't that I have no knowledge of that at all. But I do like the hormesis angle. Um, you know, experimenting with cold showers. And things as because it's personal science, and for an individual, you can get find out your results real fast, you know. Yeah, I feel like life is just one big experiment. It's a shame you only get to run it once, but um, uh, I've I've had great results with some of the you know cold therapy. I mean, John Durant was into uh, he was my friend in New York, and he's also a paleo blogger. He's been doing the polar bear swims for a long time, but I'm more into just going to the sauna and then the cold pool. Mm-hmm. And it really improves your circulation. And uh, also, it just makes you... I, I feel more resilient after doing it. It just... I, I mean, one of the problems that a lot of people have with cold weather, like when I first moved to a cold environment from Georgia where I grew up, I was always like had trouble with cold hands all the time. But if you're doing like sauna and then cold baths, then... Your ability to like uh, direct blood into cold extremities becomes much better. Hmm. But maybe it's just happy, fun-loving, experimental, kick-ass people like to do those things, <laughs> and curmudgeon, sick jerks don't like to do that. Maybe it's maybe it's the other way around. Maybe maybe as the uh, happy person keeps exploring, they you know, and they espouse the virtues of all these. Um, different therapies it's it's just their makeup it's just the way well, the they sauna, are sauna i mean sauna culture is very fun i mean I, I don't know if chicago has as many different types of saunas as new york city but in new york city you can do the korean sauna where you get delicious korean food and all the different types of uh, sauna rooms are made with different minerals like there's a jade one and a gold one 
and then you have kimchi stew afterwards. Or you can go to the Russian banya where they beat you with a birch branch. Really? And it's a cedars. <laughs> it and it smells really wonderful there. And then you have pierogies or some sort of really hearty stew afterwards. Wow, I've never even heard of this. Yeah, and then there's Turkish baths too. I I haven't been to any Turkish baths though. Huh. Interesting. But, but each has its own culture, and uh, mm-hmm. it's fun to go with friends, and uh, you have fun. I mean, in Sweden, we always we would make sausages in the sauna sometimes, or what? drink beer. Really? Yeah, just stew the sausages on the heater thing. Wow. Wild. Yeah, yeah there's no... You don't have a party in Sweden or Finland without going to the sauna. Huh, interesting. And you have to be naked. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you sound like my friend Maurice. That's what he wants for the whole world. <laughs> Nudity and... Um... Vermicomposting, that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, I want nudity, sausage, and beer. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm a clothing guy. <laughs> I mean, not even, you know, I, oh, man. I have to wear steel-toed boots. Regular boots aren't even good enough, so uh, I'm the opposite. Yeah. Layers well, and layers. And... Well, if you <laughs> live there, you'll get, you'd get used to it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Pretty funny, because I, you know, I see this... Um, Richard Nikolai and his Free the Animal, you know, and he's walking around everywhere with a wife beater and barefoot. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're not freeing the animal. You're trash. It's not, it doesn't impress me. I don't know what everyone's gig is. Like, yay, well, you're at a conference. He California, doesn't he? Yeah, but, you know, he shows up at a ancestral health symposium and shows up in bare feet as if, I don't know. Is that impressive? If everyone Lacour does it. Then the, he can do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, go to any trailer park. Then no one has shoes. <laughs> I don't care. Or yeah, and like you point out, if it's California, I mean, that's just the cult. I mean, that's just environment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love the guy, I and mean, I hate him too. So I, he's going to be on the show soon. So oh, we're going cool. to sort this out. Do you allow bad language on your show? Yeah, it's all tagged explicit, even oh, though no, we rarely swear. Darn, I, I get such swore more. I know, I get such high-class guests, um, huh. and I don't have the knowledge or technology to add or remove explicit tags for each episode, so I label them all explicit. So. Well, that's good. I mean, that that's attractive to me. Like, when I see explicit, I, I mean, it, it must mean there's something really cool. <laughs> Not in this case. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you got a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. All right. Let's move on to something else. Someone, did anyone ask any questions? Nope, nope. And I only sent one tweet. I don't like I don't like taking questions from people. Oh, yeah. And I only did that just as a, as a one-off thing. You're just pretending to. And Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Pretending. <laughs> mm-hmm. Usually I just use it as... Um, a tool to have a better interview. I never actually asked the questions. I just, oh, yeah. I just sneak the, all their great stuff in there. But no, I didn't get any this time. Mm. Well, that's good because they might have been stupid anyway. They usually are. I mean, I always have to delete questions on Paleo Hacks about like, yeah, well, what would happen if we mm-hmm. ate people? Yeah. Isn't that Paleo? And then the other one is people are obsessed with themselves. So oh, yeah. I can't stand call-in podcasts where they take questions from callers 
because when people get a chance to talk about themselves, they'll take advantage of it. <laughs> Especially sick people. They seem to like to really, really talk about themselves. So I, I can't stand those Q&A live moments. And it's difficult for me to even listen to. Or, like, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I feel like I don't want to call myself paleo anymore. Like, these questions are, like, are laptops paleo? Is shaving your legs paleo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. That's a rat hole. All this paleo. They're, they're, it, it's time for a new name. I don't, uh, I don't know if there's any name. I don't even know what. I just tell people I eat real food, I guess, you know. But I'm cool with names. Everyone else wants to shy away from labels and words. And I'm like, no, I, we need names. We need words. Because that's the way we communicate is with words. And <laughs> I don't... Maybe it's just my way of, like, in real life, I, I, I like to avoid talking about paleo. I just, sometimes I just want to talk to people about other things and don't want to derail the entire conversation with them trying to figure out what paleo is. Yeah, that's true. So... I've followed along a little bit of um, one of my favorite guys always has been Kurt Harris. Oh, yeah, he's and great. The Arcivore Diet. When I first discovered that, I used to reblog that like once a week just so that I would try to expose people to it. It's, it's, it's beautifully I mean, simple, common sense, and this whole notion of the Paleo 2.0. I think there's, I mean, like, that's, that's... there's like four of you on board. It's you, Kurt, and <laughs> a couple other people. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem is like, Rich. I mean, like, Kurt and I, we both like to argue, and I guess we don't, I guess we should, you know, stop spending so much time arguing and maybe write a book or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think it's unfair that he just pops his head up and states this strong case, but he's not active in the community. But he's like me. I mean, like, I I get so annoyed by things, like, when people just accept like, the people who just worship that Nora character, I mean, mm-hmm. even though she's, like, lying about, as far as I'm concerned, about some of these things that she's citing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people just adore her, and they get so offended when you say that she's wrong. I mean, that makes me mad, too. Well, it's because she's speaking a message that they want to hear. They want yeah. permission to eat as much fat as they want without well, it's, recourse. It's, and This is why I uh, still subscribe to vegan blogs, because I see the exact same arguments exact same people just mm-hmm. with different themes in their arguments mm-hmm. and they're the same yeah i mean i love kurt but he's just so oh he's he's so western Be, uh, like uh he even threw a little made a lot i saw a little comment and you know he was it was during that it was in that um what's the guy's name matez down oh Mates, yeah in that piece that he wrote about him and he, he used the term naturopath, and then in parentheses wrote, whatever that is. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're being a bit of a dick, because naturopathy's real. The I, I don't know. I, I just, he's a bit holier than thou, I guess. Mm, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like once, that's why, I mean, a lot of people think I hate woo, and that I'm some kind of like, you oh, know, I think that. I think Richard you hate Dawkins. Woo. <laughs> I'm a Richard Dawkins person. I think but in that reality, too. <laughs> I, I follow religion and I have, you know, paintings of Celtic animals in my house and stuff like that. You know, but, you know, that's the whole problem is that, that it's not, you know, I'm not going to blog that you should eat based on, you know, the cycles of the moon because then you get into a pissing contest with all these different religions, you know. Should you follow, like, Ayurvedic diets or... 
you know, yin yeah, yang, right. whatever. I mean, That's this like is a, just a mm-hmm. personal thing that I do, and I'm not going to base my dietary advice on it. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. And that's the whole problem with like Don's blog. I mean, Primal Wisdom is, you know, he'll start like analyzing a scientific article and then it will start getting into like how foods are fit into the, you know, like Eastern the me- religion. Is it like the of- metaphysics of food? Yeah. I mean, that's great if you follow that, but you have to realize that there's a hundred different other religions who say the exact opposite thing. Which one are you going to follow? Mm hmm. Okay. So- I'm kind of a fan of Wu. I think it's fun. Um, it's just when it's used to someone's advantage to you know for uh, to another's disadvantage. I, I guess is a problem. Woo, as in the snake oil salesman, you know. But it's hard. But it's hard to determine because you know if it's not based on science, how are you supposed to sort out the woo from the? I mean, the bad. Well, what, well, you know what is woo? What? Isn't the USDA and the FDA, isn't that a woo? Isn't, uh, isn't our current diet woo? Because it's not based on any current science. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, so it's difficult. I, that's why I kind of like woo. I, I like fringe stuff, <laughs> but I, would, I wouldn't live my life by it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm into fringe things. I just, I'm, I'm not going to write a book saying it's the optimal stuff for everybody. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, that's, that's if, the thing about me. I'm very into the idea that humans are diverse. And that, you know, that there's bell curve and we have to figure out what part of the curve we're on by experimenting on ourselves and self-discovery. And, you know, not everyone's going to be in the same place. You know, mm-hmm. some, some people are going to do really well in low carb. Some people aren't. And then you have people like Nora who says, you know, that people who don't do well on her special diet, they must have been doing something wrong. That's a no true Scotsman fallacy. You know, if you if you like the which comes from this imagined conversation like all Scotsmen like haggis, and then someone's like, well, Braveheart didn't like haggis, and the other person's like, oh, well, Braveheart wasn't a true Scotsman okay, then. Okay, So that's how some of the low-carb ag- advocates end up t- saying, you know, they just dismiss the idea that the idea that their diet might not be optimal for everybody mm-hmm. by saying these people must not have done it right. Yeah, so we, there's, a, there's a few um, science-minded individuals that are kind of emerging I was. I would think of, well, you know, Chris Masterjohn, obviously, mm-hmm. um, Matt Lalonde. There's a there's a whole. I hope a larger community of these folks coming along too. Actually, Gary Tobbs has mentioned it that he needs those kids, as he calls them, you know, because he needs people to work on the stuff that he's come up with and prove them wrong if needed. Yeah. Um, it's actually necessary. The old people have to die and go away, and so do their bad ideas. Mm. But it's going to take some science to get there, and because otherwise, I'm just, I'm just stuck with my, you know, self science, my personal experiments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, and I'm thinking of going to grad school myself. But I mean, one of the things that some of these people are, who are in academia, I mean, they have to, you know, I mean, they're silenced in some ways. I mean, I'm close to some of these people personally, and mm-hmm. There's some things they just can't do or say because of their positions. Oh, okay. So, and I mean, I've been going through a lot of soul searching about whether I should go to academia, and it, I almost feel like I should just remain independent mm-hmm. because, you know, um, I just don't want to give up my freedom. Interesting. Do you work with Weston A. Price Foundation? No. Uh, no. I've never worked with them. Chris oh. does. Yeah. Okay. 
I, you just went to the conference last year. Is that what that was? And you kind of uh, I went to the conference in 2000 and yeah, that was the year that I tweeted to you. That was right, right. maybe 2010. Yeah. Maybe that was two years ago then. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. That was, that's right. Yeah. No. You going back? I don't know. I, I think it was last year it was in like Houston, which I didn't really want to go to. <laughs> and also, I mean, Weston A. Price Foundation is also like, most of the presentations don't interest me. A lot of them are, I think, for example, Dr. Mercola is snake oil salesman. Hey, finally, someone <laughs> on my team. Well, damn. Well, I mean, I get his newsletter. I'm like, this is just alarmism and selling mm-hmm. crap that people don't need. Hey, Sean Croxon told me that's marketing. Yeah, that's marketing. I, I, that's, I mean, half the stuff that's out in, here in the paleo and real food community now has been, I mean, people are just selling garbage. Mm-hmm. And it's so depressing. That's what I hate that too. Well, that's funny. When I I've been interviewed on a few shows, and I'm trying to sell paleo, I'm not selling any product. Obviously, I mean I'm selling the message. And I've always propped up the idea that there's no bars, there's no protein bars, there's no shakes, there's no that's that has nothing to do with it. And now there are bars and shakes. And <laughs> I, I would not go on your podcast if it was, and I won't go on any more podcasts I have in the past that are sponsored by industrial food companies that are masquerading as good, healthy. Good, that's awesome. I mean, that's the, really the the heart of it. There's there's plenty of excellent food ways to move forward and live a healthy life. That's and the no- thing that boggles me. There's so mm-hmm. much food to sell, like real food that could be sold. Mm-hmm. I mean, I buy meat online sometimes. Why don't have that as a sponsor? But no, you've got to have Atkins Quest crap yeah. protein whey shake shit. Well, if people are, you know, they're trying to go support themselves on a podcast full time as their gig, I guess it can get, yeah, a little tricky. Yeah, that's, but. A, that's another thing. That, I mean, I'm glad I don't depend on my like, food blogging for my money. I mean, maybe I would do those things if I depended on it for income. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I mean, Kurt and I were talking about the concept of the gentleman scientist. You know, these uh, in the past, like uh, Einstein or these other people who are independently wealthy and were able to do science on their own terms and not have to deal with grants and sponsors and stuff mm-hmm. because they ha- already had the money. And that's kind of what I I like to do. I like to do my stuff as a hobby. That's cool. I like that to get that freedom. Yeah, I mean. You just don't have any freedom, basically, in academia. Hmm. And and also, I mean, you can, I mean, even if you're outside of academia, you can, a lot of your freedom can be ruined by, you know, getting all these sponsors that you're depending on. Yeah, a lot of this, I think, has to go right back to the whole libertarian idea. Um, like, I've been trying to get involved in a local incubator kitchen. Oh, yeah. And they've been trying to do this for eight years or something. And they're always writing the next grant and looking for more money. And I'm like, how long have you been doing this? And they've had four people in charge, you know, four four people that they've cycled through that lead the group. And it's like, you've never even engaged the community. And it, yeah. if you can't do it from the grassroots, from the pe- if the people can't make it happen, then it, no, no grant is going to make that happen. It, so. Yeah, it's hard to get those things off the ground, but. In New York City, there's a pretty good one, and it actually was just, you know, I think the city built it just to incubate little businesses, and it's a great place. Hmm. Well, if Ron Paul's president, he's going to pull the plug on that. 
<laughs> if the city paid for it, it's got to be evil. That and take yeah. down all the traffic lights. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't talk about Ron Paul or get a lot of hate mail. I'm a, I'm a, actually a fan, so. Oh yeah, I, I mean, the, I don't think he's actually going to be in any election, so. No, I, I I wouldn't imagine, and that's why I don't want to talk about it because it's pointless to argue. <laughs> you get hate I mail. Just throw shit out there. I don't know what's going to stick. Yeah, I mean. I, Hey, I don't we get went that this. We, we went a whole hour and never used the word coprolite. I don't even know how. To oh yeah, I mean, it, so. awesome. Great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to mention in your um, that your piece about that Nora Gedgaudis's um, Paleo Summit presentation. The tags are worth reading just to read the tags <laughs> on, on the blog post. Pretty. I good. don't understand why she mentioned that paper. She was just asking for trouble. Well, you brought it. I, the idea that Paleolithic humans didn't eat carbohydrates is just so dumb. Seems like down the road, though, it's just going to be you and Kurt Harris. <laughs> <laughs> no, two, no. It's I like mean, you're the two smartest kids on the block. Let's, I mean, the people who are really popular are not us. They're like Jack Cruz and Nora. You know, They're making all the money and well, Cruz selling inspire, shit. Well, Cruz inspires something in people, and I don't think he's selling At shit. At least he's not selling shit. No, that's what I was going to say. I don't think he's, he's not selling anything. I think he's seriously committed to helping and healing people. His methods and his message may be a little strange to you some. You should just stop trying to like fit the world in into his worldview like if he stops you know trying to make it evolution fit into his like personal worldview mm, and okay. write bullshit mm-hmm. about it you know yeah that would be cool because it's also a waste of space and he doesn't have that great writing skills anyway so it makes it hard to find anything useful in his writing mm-hmm. i mean i couldn't say this shit if i were an academic you know i'd have to be a nice person oh, okay all right but then when you get tenure, you can be a mean person again. I've had a lot of mean yeah, But professors. then you're just a grumpy old person by then. That's my goal, a oh. grumpy old person. Yeah, I did that. I started when I was about 18. Yeah. And I've been that uh, stick in the mud ever since. I've just been a horrible <laughs> person. One of my relatives who's really, really old, I mean, this is why I was kind of unenthusiastic about the idea of living to 120. I mean, she just told me she's like, yeah, what's the point? I mean, everyone, all my friends are dead. All my husbands are dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, well, I guess if you had a lot of friends who were doing it too, but you could still get. I mean, like my uh, grandfather was really into uh, eating healthily, and he got hit by a car. So. Oh, really. Yeah. Oh wow. He was really into like you know eating organ meats and uh-huh. seafood and bone broths and uh-huh. raw milk, and then he got hit by a car. Well, I hope he enjoyed the whole the whole journey yeah yeah i mean he was pretty healthy until he died <laughs> he's pretty but then my grand, my other grandfather who he told me once that he gets most of his calories from beer he's still going strong yep I, there's a few of those in in my world too i guess it's hopefully that. my family doesn't hear this podcast <laughs> if you do <laughs> <laughs> I won't yeah. send it to them. Oh, what are you going to have to put it on audio cassette? Yeah. <laughs> I I should... I I talk way too much trash all the time, but whatever. I'm I'm not in the game, so I can't really trash anyone. I'm not... It's not... You know what I mean? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not in the community, so... I just occasionally mention things I see. Uh, 
confuse me. Like, you know, recently I was a little, I'm a little miffed with this, the Matt Lalonde character. Oh. Because of his, obviously his arrogance for one. But then the arrogance lend also to the fact where he, he made it sound like the science that comes out of heart, you know, his school <laughs> is beyond reproach. And yet that's also the school, the home of, um, um, Willett and their Walter Willett. Are you familiar with the work they produce? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've... it's hor- it's the same as the food plate, but yeah. And there's there's a, what was that researcher at Yale who was like he had to retract all his papers because of fraud. I mean, there's all kinds of crap in academia, but at least I mean, I feel like Matt's approach is at least try to get some science right. Try to not. Mm-hmm talk bullshit to confuse all the people who don't read the primary sources okay you know um like that i mean you're just conf- you're just making people crazy like i'll meet people at the gym and they'll be like oh my god you can't eat that because it has a lectin in it and i'm like guess what your saliva has lectin yeah in it. i kind of you just, mean a specific yeah. lectin yeah i'm actually thankful for matt lalonde in you know in those regards when he's bringing that stuff to the table because i kind of get trapped in that because i i learn a new buzzword and then I'll use it and then find out later oh that wasn't the reason you know I've I've used the lectin excuse before or um, just like saying oh anti-nutrients yeah, I, yep, w- yep. when you know there's a context for anti-nutrients like a lot of people I know who are getting these gen- 23andMe genetic tests are finding that they have alleles for uh, hemochromatosis which means uh, that as they age especially if they're men and even women have this problem they will have problems from iron overload, possibly. And so some of these anti-nutrients might be good for them. <laughs> so it's just a perfect yeah. example of trying to place yourself on the bell curve. I mean, you have women who struggle with low iron, who just have so much trouble with, like, constant anemia on one end of the curve, and then people who are struggling with too much iron. Mm-hmm. And I was I was kind of upset that uh, Lauren Cordain, in his latest revised paleo book, he doesn't mention hemochromatosis once because he has this long chapter on, like, iron. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like you have to always think about human diversity. Well, he may not want to include things that don't work for him. I think it should be included, especially <laughs> because, I mean, just the genetic makeup of the United States. I mean, it's very common in Celtic populations. Uh-huh. A lot of people are reading this book are probably white. And, well, even African Americans have Celtic descent. I think there's two paleo people that are black, so... <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, like, uh, Barack Obama could have hemochromatosis because he has, you know... Hmm. I'd never even heard of it, so it's all new to me. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's very common. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder what I have. I want to go find out. But if Kurt Harris has his way, I won't be able to see a naturopath. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I know a lot of people. That's the funny thing about this DIY sort of science. Mm -hmm. Like, people just order these, like, lab tests on the Internet and just go to this, like, blood place where they take your blood and send it off. They don't deal with the doctor at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so they're going straight to the labs? Yeah, it's good because, you know, there's not – I mean, you're not wasting a doctor's time. For example, my doctor, I want to get my vitamin D test. He's like, you don't need that. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't want to deal with it, which is kind of wrong, but whatever. I mean, as if we're going to socialize medicine more, we shouldn't waste so much time on some of these things that maybe aren't life-threatening. Mm-hmm. I get some serious feedback there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I think I just put my hand on my microphone. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were watching TV. 
No, yeah, it's so boring. <laughs> All right. This is pretty cool. This has been fun. Good, yeah. Hopefully I didn't say too much horrible things. Um, if you're concerned, I can send you a copy and I can mm-hmm. edit. If you're not concerned, I, you know, you let me know. What you're okay, yeah, with. just send it to me. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, I'll say, and I don't really care. So, But if I will send you a copy of it. Um, and let's get back to the show for just a second here. Do you have um, like a takeaway as, you know? That's how people seem to end these podcasts. Uh, I guess, I mean, that's the problem is that, like, I don't have a book or anything I'm selling. Or well, anything. that's most people I have on don't have books and don't sell because, yeah. and I think. But what's your my opinion- thing, you know? I don't even know what my thing is anymore. Well, some of the stuff we've been talking about. Creating you know, trouble. It- <laughs> <laughs> Arguing with How people. to start fights on the internet. Um Hating bullshit. Okay. Being a bitch. <laughs> you know, you and, um, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Maggie Korth from Boing Boing. You sh- two should work together. Oh. Do you know who she is? Mm-mm. She's the science editor at boingboing.net. Mm. You're two like minds, I'll tell you that. So mm. you should check, I don't know if you're familiar with their website. It's one of my favorite technology and geekery websites yeah i mean i feel she's like their he's... new science editor oh, and wow. you guys are both on the i mean you cut from the same cloth i believe yeah i guess like muckraker kind of people uh, no she's just more of the anti-woo oh yeah she ain't much of a i don't think she's as you can wear the boxing gloves and <laughs> i mean if people i mean just people should i don't know i, I don't feel like i'm that anti-woo you know I'm not Richard Dawkins. <laughs> okay. But, I, I mean, I do think we should be clear when things are science and things are not science. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing to do. You know, if you're mixing, like, different things together, you should make sure that people know what you're doing. I think people should just keep checking in with you to make sure yes. they're on, that they're on course. Just send me everything, and I'll annotate it with <laughs> what's wrong with it, and then everything will be fine. Cool. And you keep us abreast of all the um, agriculture things that are going on in the world and, you know, on a whole different level, not just personal nutrition issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still interested in agriculture. I mean, my family's farm is, uh, well, we've had some issues with that. But um, we're thinking of actually not trying to do beef because I feel like if we're not going to both, all of us devote, my father and I devote all of our business time to that. And also we can't make money from it. Then... uh, we just are going to not do animals for a while and mm. just try to do some agroforestry stuff. Um, so planting. What region is that in? Uh, near Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So I, I'd like to experiment with different trees and uh, berries and mushrooms, stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. I've always wanted to do that ever since I lived in Sweden. Mushrooms is a is fantastic um, because of the the high dollar, you know, the the value of the. It, there's a market for it. In, yeah, I've also been researching ginseng too. You can grow ginseng there. Yeah, that was it's a very one it's one of the most could be one of the most common trees in the United States, but it wasn't hasn't yeah. been um, picked for it's that. It's funny cuz ginseng kind of makes me feel weird. It makes me feel woozy, but someone else can buy it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you don't have to be a proponent of it to to recommend it. I mean, you don't have to be a, a user to recommend it, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't work for me, but it might work for other people. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. 
I was what was I just on something, and I said that I recommend all the time, but I don't. Oh, back to the poop. Yeah, it's on my blog. I have that um, my affiliate <laughs> ad for that uh, squatty potty. Mm-hmm. But I had to admit that I don't use it because I can't afford it, and I just use my son's little step stool. <laughs> I think it's ridiculously expensive, but if someone wants to buy a squatty potty, they should and use yeah. the link from my site. Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> that's the thing. Why sell whey protein powders when there's actual things people, you know, are, that are useful and real? And yeah, when it comes to food products, that's where I draw the line. I'm gonna I'll advertise squatty potties, audiobooks, you know, things like this. But when it comes to any any um, adulterated food product, I, I just can't. I can't do that. You should consider advertising duck fat sausage. <laughs> That's funny. I just asked my chef friend last night if he had a resor- if he could get me some duck fat. He said absolutely. Five gallons headed your way. I'm like, all right. Oh yeah. I don't need that much. <laughs> well, you you use it. You can use it for everything. Well, that'll be my. Uh, Maybe my next exploration is the duck fat. Yeah, it's it's it can be used. Right. It's just so delicious. It's wonderful. That's what I hear, and I have no experience with it. So I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. Are you into coffee at all? I don't tolerate it that well, but I drink it sometimes. If it's if it's really nice French press coffee, I mm-hmm. can drink it okay. Okay. Yeah, I rediscovered it after uh, my dealings with the and my just talking with the bulletproof exec. Oh yeah. And I happen to believe him about the mycotoxins in coffee is the problem. Yeah, there's a whole debate about that on Paleo Hacks. I'm not sure oh, really? what to believe. Well, from just my anecdote, it I can I've I can make the difference. I mean, I can I can select two coffees for someone and show them what happens. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to buy his coffee and I'm going to buy like the most other expensive coffee I can possibly think of and I'm going to mm-hmm. and I'm going to blind myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to be like a publishable yeah, experiment. The two most expensive coffees may not represent the um, the mycotoxin angle, and they may not be represented in the. Other but some people coffee, who I've talked so. to who are experts in coffee mm-hmm. claim that any good, high quality coffee merchant would not let mycotoxins into their coffee. So, and I and, can, and they also that. criticize him for not uh, really being transparent with the source, which I think he should be more transparent with the source. Especially oh, since there's so many human okay. rights issues and environmental in issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got in trouble with uh, like paleo kits because like, I wanted to know like where their beef was from, and they wouldn't tell me. And I'm What's, like, okay, who's that? what is that? It's like a paleo jerky company. I mean, oh, okay. they do it for charity, so um, you know that's nice. But I, I really want to know where the meat was from, uh-huh. and they won't disclose their suppliers. Uh, yeah, I see that a lot. In a lot of, yeah, a lot of this. There's many different reasons. It doesn't have to be sinister. Maybe they just don't want to compete mm-hmm. or tell other people because other people want to do that. But I think it's important. Yeah, I have a show coming up with a coffee roaster. And, um, you know, he freely admitted he gets his, co- you know, most of his coffee from Sweet Marie's. It's a, it's a well-known distributor. And mm. each of his coffees has traceable to them. And then it's, you know. So, yeah, I, I like... I like the openness. That's cool. Yeah, I wish Bulletproof Executive would be more open about his coffee source. Because, I mean, I, I like the concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people need to just not be afraid that someone's going to outsource them and steal it or whatever. Especially if you're already rich. I mean, 
just tell people. Yeah. Inspire other people. Yeah. Roast your own. Why not give them an opportunity to experience mold-free coffee for themselves? Yeah. I, I got nothing against Bulletproof Exact. I love the guy. He's, he's, he's awesome. Yeah, that's an issue for me is that there's so many nice people who do things that I don't like. <laughs> Everyone, no. yeah. No perfect people? Oh, no. I know. I just like, but I, I want to tell them that they're doing something terrible, but I, I, I don't want to be mean. But then I end up being mean anyway. Yeah, if you're telling everyone their faults. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Fun but, to have you around. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just wish people would, uh, you know, not do. I mean, like people who have health podcasts who have sponsors that are processed food. You know, why, why do people have to do that? I don't understand. Well, yeah. Money. 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 It's it's not easy. Like I said, you know, I I wouldn't do it, and I'm on food stamps, so that, that's yeah. kind of retarded of me. I should. I should, if Quest Bars calls me, freaking <laughs> sign them up and tell everyone, best damn thing I ever ate. I ate 40 a day. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I got some... Uh, uh, kombucha sample from Celestial Seasonings. Mm. You know the tea company. Yeah, they're now selling these little energy drinks. It's not real kombucha, right? It's there. Is, it it is. There is a little bit in there. Is it pasteurized? Uh, no, it's a living. It's it's oh. live. It they actually say oh. you know must be That's refrigerated. Impressive. Yeah, I was really curious to see what it was all about, and it is horrific. Um. It's just an energy drink, just like a you name it. I don't know the names of energy drinks, Red Bull or whatever. It's just like that with a little bit of kombucha in it. Um, they're, just, they're little shots. I don't, I, I've seen a bunch of new kombucha companies that have a lot of added sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Which I think it, I don't know. I guess most American taste buds are so desensitized to sugar that you have to add sugar to something that's already sweet. Ridiculous. Yeah, they add a lot of secondary sugars, I think, also for the um, carbonation so that the drink's yeah. not flat because it reactivates the yeast and produces a lot of carbon dioxide. Um, I make kombucha, and it's flat as hell. Oh, really? Because when I was making mm-hmm. it, I was doing – it was mine was sparkly. No, mine is not. Never. Uh, you, have to, you have to do a secondary fermentation, though, in oh, yeah. a really airtight container. Yeah. I only do those for myself. Um, I used to do it and share it with the kids and everything. But I, yeah, that's only for people you care about. Yeah, I just, well, no, I just got, um, I was a little concerned about the alcohol. Oh, yeah. For the children. So I stopped secondary fermenting, but it is, sure is fun. You can really make some pretty incredible beverages, but I might. Oh, maybe ferment, I, that's why I felt so good drinking that. <laughs> it's about, you know, they say about a half percent or more of alcohol on those secondary ferments. Mm, but wow. my my fermentation gig just got out of control, so I had to dial it all back. It, it, it just, I tried everything at once, and it's too much work. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I haven't been doing very much fermentation lately. I I'm not ashamed of having to buy some fermented foods because I live in a studio apartment. So yeah, I understand. And now that the emergence of the the foods, they're they're accessible. You know, they're available. Real yeah. fermented foods are now available. And I think people should should look into it and check it out. Some of these small businesses are doing some really great things. Local pickle makers, yeah, coming back in style. I've been trying. Ohio, they don't like that. So really, no, no, no. Huh? Yeah. What's it? Are you in like a really remote area? Uh, no. Just I feel uh, like Cleveland must have a good food scene because that chef Michael Ruhlman is from there, and he's really awesome. Yeah. 
he is awesome. Um, but I don't know how connected to the people on the street he is. He's a little bit. But there must upscale. be a market for the upscale things. Oh, oh, there is. Um, you know, for for my fermentation angle, I can't. It's not a. Um, you can't get it to market because it's an illegal food product. I was buying illegal kombucha in Brooklyn from yeah. this guy I met on the internet. Oh, cool! He would just like send out an email, and I would be like reply to it saying, "I want this kombucha, and you'd come to my house." That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I should explore that. Yeah, I buy illegal food all the time. Oh, cool. Illegal milk sometimes. I don't drink that much milk, but when I do, it's illegal. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I illegal sausage. I go to illegal restaurants. <laughs> I, these illegal supper clubs in Chicago. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Some of the best food I've ever had. Wow. The chefs in their house. Oh, is that I'm what it is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if any of these people get busted, then I'll really vote for Ron Paul. <laughs> but until then. Yeah. He's a fake candidate. <laughs> Because why would the government want to persecute? I, I just wish the government would not persecute like people who haven't done anything. Who are just having these little small businesses trying to start a business. Yeah, I mean, from the business angle especially. I, We're in I'm, a recession. Yeah, I love that angle. And it was in, um, in Joel Salatin's book. He's like, you need, just need to remove all cottage food regulations. Yeah. And just or, let or, people produce any food they want. Or pay for the incubator. The government's going to create trouble. They might as well fix it yeah. by creating these incubating okay. kitchens. Nice idea. Yeah. I wouldn't agree, but you're right. And in the fact that that's typically how they do things. If they set up a blockade in one area, they add a little funnel in another. so they. Can... I feel like they don't do that, and that's the problem. There's, they don't do it, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no scaling. I mean, like if you want to have a slaughterhouse, it's either an industrial slaughterhouse or a no slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. There's no regulations for anything in the middle. Right. Exactly. Although they're trying to, um, what's it, Glenwood Foundation in New York is doing a lot of work and uh, creating these mobile slaughter units that are quite promising. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wild. Very cool. Yep, there's hope. Wow. Everyone I get on my show says that. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying. Really? I, I, I look at old cookbooks. Because I collect vintage cookbooks. Okay. Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe these people are eating more real food, but honestly, some of these recipes suck. <laughs> I mean, like, in the 50s, like, meat, jello, canned stuff, you know. Yeah, these were fake cookbooks written by industry to I use don't know. Crisco and stuff like that. Maybe? No, some no? of them are pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of stuff that has, like, tons and tons of flour in it. I, I just feel like. We have so much access to so many good foods from all over the world. If you really like, like, the pleasure of eating really delicious, the best food in the world, like, now is the time to be alive. That's true. I, I, yeah, there, it, everything's out there. It's all available. It's just, we, for most people, it's not. Well, industrial foods set us back. Uh, you know, yeah. we lost 50 years of, of progress. The only thing that's helped us is this cross-cultural you know this the united you know the united states being the melting pot yeah um, and just being exposed to other cultural foods has that saved us but otherwise it's just industrial wasteland yeah i'm i mean when i travel to the south and stuff to visit family it's pretty depressing to be honest Mm -hmm. 
because I mean I know that there's just so much out there, but these people aren't eating it. Yeah, and then you know Southern cuisine gets a bad rap because of people like Paula Deen. I know, and then the people who try to fix it, they're trying to fix it in a way that totally just alienates Southerners, like uh, Jamie Oliver. It's like, here, I'm going to teach you low-fat yeah. cooking, even though Salad. I don't eat low-fat. That's the thing about these chefs that are, like, Jamie Oliver, you watch mm-hmm. his cooking show, he's not eating that way, you know? And yeah, he shows people how to make yeah, some uh, Chinese stir-fry with Chinese noodles and salad. It's like, that's not, that's nothing. That's shit. That's... If Southerners went back to eating grits with butter mm-hmm. and homemade things, pig's feet, mm-hmm. they'd be fine. Yeah, absolutely. I said that in a previous show where I, I thought if I could reach farmers in Ohio, I'd be thrilled. Like if I could help them live a healthier life, um, it, it would be the hardest sell in the world because these people are, you know, tied to the farm. You know, they're right there. And they live it. But they suffer some pretty bad health Oh yeah, Ill, Ill health effects, and I know so many unhealthy farmers. If they could just get off the grain, the process, you know what I mean, the um, the processed food, processed and foods, and, yeah. and things. Because I go down to Mid Ohio. This is actually not that far, um, Worcesterish to our farm. It's Amish country there, like real Amish country. And I so occasionally uh, when I go down to the farm to do our CSA pickup, I'll stop in at one of the local grocers. And it's just as bad as the inner city grocer. Oh, yeah. Except there's no alcohol in cigarettes. But there's the food is nearly the same. Even in the deli county, counter, it's Eckrich and, you know, Pepperidge Farms and stuff. Yeah, it's so depressing. Yeah, and, and the women, the Amish women and the young girls uh, look horrible. They're, I know. They are, their bodies are way out of shape and it's funny because they're living that pure clean lifestyle you would think you know yeah but, but, but they're way out of line tons of sugar it's and really sad crap. yeah sugar mm-hmm. but i worked with some farmers in new york when i was running the meat csa oh, i guess we're inspired by the stuff i was doing and uh there was one farmer he started a website called healthymeat.org and he started like a kind of a paleo-ish diet he's, he's he says he's gotten a lot healthier oh cool so I've met several farmers who have adopted these because their clients were telling them about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, some farmers are just like, this is just some rich city people thing, but other farmers are really open to it. That's cool. I always wondered if um, uh, Joel Salatin, if, you know, uh, I think there was a little connection there with him and Rob Wolf a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they talked much or if, if Joel became a champion of paleo, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Or they don't even have to be a champion of paleo. I mean... Or, you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't care two shits about paleo. It, I mean... Yeah, the, just the, eating that. from their own farms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been experimenting a little bit with some buckwheat recently, and I've had some good results. And I sometimes eat corn, too. That's my 20%, you know. Yeah, we do corn chips um, at our place when we do uh, our faux Mexican night. Oh. Um, so we... We, we definitely add in the corn chips. Yeah, I do like uh, tamales. Sometimes I make them with masa. Mm-hmm. Really good. But so far, I'm not dead. <laughs> so think, it's all about the amount and the context. And corn's one of the safer cheats. Um, yeah. I, do, are, you, are, are you buying this protein idea, the gluten and the 
proteins being the hazards in grains? Or I don't know. I mean, for else? me, it's been mainly the carbohydrate intolerance that has been an issue. So I feel like I I don't I haven't had as many reactions to the actual gluten. Mm-hmm. Like when I test myself, like if I eat like a really refined piece of bread that doesn't have a lot of uh, fructans and stuff, mm-hmm. doesn't really bother me. But maybe it's a long term thing. Yeah, I've always found it curious that whatever someone's personal issue is, health issue, once they conquer it and then they start, you know, promoting their ideas. They're really hell bent on thinking that everyone has that problem. Yeah, like that's true. Rob Wolf is a good example where it's like basically because I can't eat a piece of food that was cooked on a waffle pan. Gluten's the most evil thing in the world. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so I see that a lot. A lot of people just get stuck in their own. This is really really bad for me. It, it's really bad for a lot of people. So it's really bad for everyone. But it's hard because they do have a few papers that show in animals maybe that it could cause damage, but it's really speculative. And here's where, you know, are you going to add this to your experiment or not? Is it worth it to you to gamble on this? And for some people, I feel like for me, it's not. I mean, maybe there's some, you know, papers that show that if you ever eat gluten, you know, you might have some increased risk of something in the future. But I will occasionally eat gluten and nothing bad happens to me. Yeah, I'm completely, as far as I'm aware, pretty much as far, yes, as far as I can think, I'm grain free. I, I just don't do it anymore. And I was just getting, I was peaking on my awesome sourdoughs and my, because of my fermentation experiments. And I had thought I had perfected pizza dough and I dropped it all. <laughs> because yeah. Of, because of Rob. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I've added in some. Other, I mean, like I do buckwheat sourdough sometimes, mm-hmm. and I use a lot of the same techniques that I learned when I was experimenting with regular sourdough. So uh, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I just, for me, re- resilience was really important because I like to travel. I like to have fun. Um, I'm not going to be one of these people. I know a lot of people in the paleo movement that I've met who I can never invite them anywhere, basically. I can only invite them to my house or their house. And to me, that's kind of depressing. And some oh. of them have legitimate sicknesses, mm. but others are just really paranoid. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's unfortunate. And for a while, I was really paranoid. I was like, oh, I can't eat out unless I, like, call ahead and, like, you know, do all this other stuff. But in reality, you know, if I have a little bit of canola oil, Mm -hmm. it's not going to really throw off my diet that much. Yeah, for me, I'm not, I wouldn't not go to a restaurant because I'm afraid. I just think that they suck. And I can't afford to go to a real restaurant. Yeah, so yeah. Every that's restaurant true. that's accessible to me is shit. So I would never, I don't bother. Yeah, you could start your own. You could start an illegal restaurant like the ones I've been going to. Yeah, um, like my friend Chef Brian, he he does um, pop up restaurants. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we need to get him back into that and do a paleo themed pop up. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Be- I need to get some of my chef friends involved with that. Yeah, I, I've actually been working with him over the past six months or more, and he's. Um, it turned him on to the paleo idea and he went nuts with the podcasts and boy is he really taken to it and it's done him so well I'm so awesome so yeah I mean whenever I get mad at paleo I just realize you know how much healthier I am mm-hmm. and how much healthier my mom and my dad are you know and you know I'm really grateful for even if it has some bad spots hey that- I, I've I tweeted before I just mentioned to I sent a message specifically to Rob Wolf that I just use the term Grandpa Steve. That's 
the grandpa in our family, <laughs> uh, got he reversed type two diabetes. Wow. He got off insulin um, on his own with no doctor's help. He just titrated off and with a paleo template. Yeah. And I mean, hell, that's that's absolutely freaking amazing. And that would have never happened um, on a, through his doctor. Yeah. I mean, if crazy and wrong paleo authors are getting people to explore the idea, then that's good at least, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. And then later they can learn more about different refinements. But I think, uh, you know... It, as long as these macronutrient freaking arguments don't bring the thing to its knees... I don't think it will. I think it invigorates it, if anything. I mean, some people might get frustrated and quit, but those people, we don't want them anyways because they're boring. They're quitters anyways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then... Um, you can't have you know. a static-free life. It's got to have... Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is uh, I also see some orthorexia, like what I was saying, people being afraid mm. of different things. And um, that's the great thing about paleo for me is it's made me more resilient. It makes my gut healthier and not you know, so sensitive that I can't eat a tomato, for example. Yeah, I, orthorexia. I always try to think of that word, and I never can. Yeah. Um, I had a little argument with uh, Dr. Eads online once. He had, after Steve Jobs' death, he had said, beware of what you read. And he sent a link to some of the books that Steve Jobs had read. And I called him on that as being as the, the, the most horrible thing I could imagine him saying, uh, be, beware of what you read. Um, you know, it was some, some of the books that Steve was into uh, for his food and philosophy. And yeah. I just thought that was horrible thing for him, someone in his position to say, like, as if what, read only your book? <laughs> Who are you? I mean, so I think, so, you know, he, there, a lot of bloggers and uh, paleo people have pointed out Steve gave himself cancer. Because no. of his diet. There's no way no. to know that. Well, the other problem is he obviously had orthorexia. Yeah. The dude would eat asparagus. Only, or he'd eat only fruit or something. Or, yeah, or he would just pick one seasonal food and eat it exclusively. Yeah. That's, an, that's orthorexia. He had a problem. May or may not have led to any problems, but I, I just think it's all BS. When I, I really irks me when someone says, well, if they had my diet. They would, would have never encountered these problems. There are people who have had some of these low-carb diets who have gotten cancer. I mean, yeah. to act like you're immune from things is just ignorance. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, like I said, I see obese people losing a lot of weight on paleo. Now they're writing cookbooks. And it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. You managed to discover how to eat meat and vegetables now you're an authority? It's like, you, you've been eating from the trough of, you know, the industrial food toxic system for 40 years. Six months you're eating healthy, and now you have a damn cookbook. Well, there's me going yeah. off for no reason. but Well, the, the truth is, I mean, there's plenty of regular cookbooks you can get that have really great stuff for paleo. So you don't really need a special paleo cookbook. But there was one paleo cookbook that I did learn something really useful and it was like uh, making a really good stock with uh, onions, carrots, and maybe celery or something. It, mm-hmm. it was just, I didn't know that technique about, even though it's a really basic class, classic French technique, mm-hmm. but it really helped make my stews a lot better. Yeah, I've learned some tricks from my friend, my chef friend. 
Uh, There's so much to learn about meat. Why why tell us how to make almond yeah. flour cupcakes? Exactly. See why I say that's just a carryover of the previous addiction. So, And almond flour cupcakes aren't good. They're bad. They're terrible. They suck. Yeah, a friend of mine whose wife is in pretty serious disarray with her health, um, they were attempting to go paleo, and the very first thing she did was open up the paleo book. In, um, it was Sarah Fergoso's Everyday Paleo. Mm. And found the muffin recipe. Oh yeah. And I said, "Well, to, let me just to be honest, you're fu- you're doomed." I almost said, "Fucked." <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> you can't start there. You can't start with the muffins. I'm sorry. I think it's... I had one of her cookbooks so that had savory muffins, which are basically like eggs in yeah. a muffin tin. So maybe yeah. it was those. I don't. Well, know. I was just thinking of the con. The, it's the overall concept. It's how you approach something. You know. Yeah. If, if you think it's a healthier muffin that's going to save the day, it's not. Yeah. Well, the good thing about those things is what my mom found is they upset her stomach so much that she didn't want to eat them. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, almond flour and coconut flour can be just as harsh as grains on your stomach. Sure. And aren't there anti-nutrients? In yeah, that's every the hilarious thing. There, right? Yeah. So, yeah, people, are, people just want to eat muffins. Yeah, and I had learned a tip. I think it was from Jimmy Moore's show. He had uh, interviewed a woman who had written a book on cooking meat. Mm. And it was a, I don't remember. Maybe it was Jennifer McLagan. She has a bones cookbook and a fat cookbook. They're really oh, good yeah. cookbooks. Okay. If you want to learn basic techniques, amazing. That's cool. The one te- technique I learned for grass-fed ground beef is a cast iron skillet salted. You actually oh. salt the skillet and then just put the meat right on there. You need no added fats. And it oh. just releases. And in the meantime, you salt the tops and oh. flip it over. And, you, and you're left with... Um, you know, the perfect amount of brownness on the pan, but they don't stick. And then you can um, deglaze that and turn that into a sauce. And you've just made an awesome meal in like five minutes. Wow. With no added fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the meat, I mean, even some of my grass-fed meat that I get, it just depends on the cow when it's slaughtered or what it's fed. Oh, they just, it's they variable. just fatty. It's, it's, and it's variable, um, like pretty, pretty wildly variable. The, it can be the, kind of frustrating. Like I'll put some in the pan and then, It'll just be like so much fat, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh, where did this come from? I wasn't expecting this." It is a bit of a disappointment. Like if you put some put some time into making a roast and you slow cook it all day, and you get to it and you're like, "Oh, this one was hmm. This isn't <laughs> this one isn't perfect, but yeah, too lean, too fat. Yeah, a little grizzly, perhaps. You know, and then I have to eat it anyway because I spend so much money on it. Oh yeah, and I have I'm a full time dad, and I have three little kids, so. <laughs> if you make a mistake on a meal, you've got to eat it. I can't recook a meal for five people. And I, I always just like chop it up and then put it with some really spicy stuff and some like spices and then mm-hmm. make it into like a stir fry. And it's like, oh, it's fine now. Everything has second and third uses if you're smart. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm going to go cook some dinner now. I'm getting pretty hungry. Cool. Yeah, I didn't eat today. I oh no! Bulletproof. Co- oh, I, I lied. Bulletproof coffee, about a half a pound of bacon. Oh wow! And that was it today. Wow! So, cool. It's fun. Yeah. Well, thanks, Melissa. This was really cool. Um, thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love. I love your energy. You have one of the best blogs out there. I've linked to thanks. it ten thousand times. So. Yeah, really, really great stuff. Thank you. 
Um, I know people don't go to show notes. No one reads show notes. Mm. Um, it's huntgatherlove.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best place to find you, I would imagine. Yep. And that's it. Cool. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. Good night. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Here's the 30-day free trial details, okay, for the Audible. Get your first 30 days of the Audible Listener Gold membership plan free, which includes one credit. In almost all cases, one credit equals one audiobook. After your 30-day trial, your membership will automatically renew each month for just $14.95. Build to the credit card you used when you registered with Audible. With your membership, you'll receive one credit per month, plus members-only discounts on all audio purchases. Now that is the straight dope. That's the script right there. All right. Hey, bonus ad. Here's an idea. Go to askbrian.com. Check out the link there for the Squatty Potty. It's a great website. Um, It's got some humorous videos. And if you buy one of those, I get a few bucks, and you'll have super healthy poops. Thanks for your support. Bye.